Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we are going to be talking about product design in software. And this is a field that more and more people are now beginning to realize is absolutely critical to the success of a product. With the runaway success of recent products such as Apple's iPhone and iPad, Airbnb, and many other products, people are beginning to see that design played a very important role if not the most important role in the success of these products. So there's a lot of interest in this space and I'm really excited to be doing an episode on product design. Let me quickly now introduce our guest on today's show. Her name is Lindsay Norman and Lindsay is a product designer with Pinterest. Now, Pinterest, for those of you who aren't familiar with the company, is one of those darling companies of Silicon Valley. It started as recently as in March 2010 as a closed beta. And since then, Pinterest has grown really, really fast. In fact, today it is valued at more than $11 billion. And there's a lot of speculation that Pinterest might IPO anytime soon, if not this year, then in the near future. So if you haven't checked it out already, do check it out at Pinterest.com. Coming to Lindsay, she has a lot of experience in this space. Right now, of course, she's a product designer with Pinterest. Prior to that, she was working as a designer with LinkedIn for more than two and a half years. Before that, she was a designer with another startup in Silicon Valley called Blazing Cloud. And before that, she held a couple of marketing roles, again, at some tech startups here in Bay Area. What's really interesting about Lindsay's background is that she actually doesn't have a formal degree in design. She actually has a background in marketing from Cork School of Business, but at some point in time, she developed an interest in design. She taught herself, she's a completely self-taught designer, reached out to people who could help her out. And today, not only is she a successful product designer, she's working at companies that are some of the most sought after workplaces here in Silicon Valley. So I really hope that you enjoy today's discussion and find it helpful. And without further ado, let's welcome Lindsay to the show. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Excited to be talking to you. And that was quite an introduction. I liked it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, really excited about today's episode, specifically about design, because there is a lot of interest in design now. So I'm curious about what you'll say and looking to learn from you. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like you recently got back from Germany, right? Yeah, I was, uh, was in Germany for about a week. A couple of people from Pinterest, specifically some user researchers and fellow product designers. It was a great trip. We went over there to really research the German market and better understand you know, what people are looking for with Pinterest and how we can get them to continue signing up and really being super engaged with the product. Wow, that sounds awesome. So where were you in Germany? 
Oh my god! Sorry, I totally blanked on the name. Okay, no worries. <laughs> That's fine. You were somewhere in Germany. Um, yeah. We're... <laughs> but uh, actually, one thing which which I am curious about is that, and I'm sure there's a reason for it. But why wouldn't you do something like this in a remote environment? So like you know, use Hangout or Skype as opposed to going and meeting users in person. Yeah, so the reason we met uh, these people in person is because we actually wanted to get a feel for their environment. We wanted to really step into these people's apartments and homes and get a feel because it was really different. People have different style, a different way of living. A lot of these apartments were very small, very minimal, you know, not a lot of decor, not a lot of frills. And so I think that was all part of the process was to really just absorb how this person is living day to day so we can better understand their needs and their desires. Cool, cool. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. And that's the kind of thing which I'm guessing a lot of product designers would do. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't ever had the opportunity to travel abroad to do it. So that was really amazing. Um, I've done smaller trips to places like New York and other cities within the U.S. for LinkedIn and other companies. But I think it was kind of a next level experience to get to go somewhere extremely different. And I think at the time, I really, in my head, felt like German people were so foreign to me, so so far removed that it was hard for me to really um, empathize with their struggles and the things they're going through. So it was a great trip and an eye-opener for, for me because we kind of went over there and started talking to these people about their lives. And what we learned was in many, many ways, they're really similar to all of us in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They're watching the same shows on Netflix. They know all about American politics and what's going on with our culture and society. So that was kind of neat to to kind of see firsthand. Yeah, and actually, I would love to learn more about how a designer like yourself would translate what you learn in trips like these. Yeah, um, actually, what I really love doing is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with sketch notes as uh, a process. No. Have you heard of that? No, no. So sketch notes, um, it's just a way of note taking that I love to do during user research where um, I actually kind of draw out what I'm hearing in kind of like cartoon-like fashion. So I just get these blank sheets of paper and usually fill up a whole page during an hour research session and kind of draw out the big themes I'm hearing and sort of attach visuals to those themes. And when we came back to Pinterest after this trip, the user researcher and I worked together to put together a one sheet kind of summary of what we learned in Germany. And we sent out to the whole company. And I think everyone really appreciated kind of the visuals to go along with the the summary. Yeah, but can you maybe share an example of, let's say, and this is just to illustrate for our listeners, right, that how, like you said, that you found that a lot of these German people that you met were very similar to people over here, they were watching similar shows on Netflix, they were aware of what's happening over here in politics and culture. So how would you translate some of those learnings to the final product design that a user sees on Pinterest.com? Yeah, so I think what really helped us learn in Germany was that we don't need to create a separate Pinterest for every different country that we're going after. Right now, we're really focused on five large countries like Germany and France and a few others. And I think there was a question probably a while back, which is like, do these countries need a different sign up form 
Do we need to speak to them in a different way? Do we need to show them different visuals when we're trying to get them to sign up for Pinterest? And I think what we're learning more and more is that we actually don't. Um, We really need to create a successful global product that will work wherever we go. And so knowing that people are so similar to us and they'll probably use Pinterest in really similar ways, I think we can feel confident that we can really design one product that will work outside of the U.S. Okay. Okay. No, that's really, really helpful. So basically what you're saying is that you went there with the question of, hey, do we need to design the product slightly differently for this different audience? But based on the behavior you saw, it seems like there isn't really that need, at least so far. Yeah, exactly. And I think we knew that Germany was sort of a hard market for us because I think Germans, what we've heard from them is that they're less quick to sign up for things. They really want to know what they're getting in for. And, um, the way our product works now, people have to really sign up early on to be able to explore all that Pinterest has to offer. And so one ta- and one other takeaway in addition to this whole global product theme is we definitely need to show people what they're getting before telling them to sign up. So that was a, a good learning and that was also what we were kind of probing while we were over there. You know, how much do people need to understand about Pinterest for them to be motivated enough to go through a sign-up process? Okay. Now, this is really helpful because it sort of helps us understand what goes on in the mind of a designer, right? The kind of questions that you're looking to answer. So definitely. before we go more into this, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path so far? Yeah. So I think you covered the main points, but um, I worked in marketing after school. I had a marketing degree coming out of SMU, moved over to SF without a job, start getting connected with people pretty soon and found this marketing PR gig and then made a few jumps in those first couple of years of working where I got closer and closer to sort of product marketing. Um, and I worked at this small startup that was the first time I was really introduced to design. I actually had the task of working with a couple designers to work on this product that we were working on. It was in the healthcare space. It was called Cake Health. And um, that was the first time I realized design is a job and people get paid to do this awesome work that I had just never thought about it. And it was really because of a coworker that I eventually looked for a design job because he kind of saw this passion light up in me when I was talking about design and working on designs with these two other designers. So he sort of encouraged me to explore that path. And then from there, I got an internship where luckily enough, they weren't really looking for someone with a ton of experience. So I got to, you know, I got my foot in the door and then sort of started cracking at it. A year went by and kept working on it outside of work as well. You know, a lot of late nights kind of mm-hmm. learning Photoshop and all these big things you had to learn to really get your foot in the door yeah. to, to these big companies. And um, luckily enough, LinkedIn actually came about because they were thinking about purchasing this company I was at. So I got the opportunity early on to sort of interview with LinkedIn and it all worked out. And so that was kind of, LinkedIn was definitely the first point I was really thrown into the fire of heavy duty product design at a tech company. And it was a lot, but it's worked out pretty well. I'm pretty happy. No, absolutely. And I think, I think that's what I'm really curious about. Uh, So as you mentioned, you have a background in marketing and then it was one of your coworkers who sort of encouraged you to explore design as a potential career path. So 
what was it like what inspired you to even consider going full time into design yeah so i think that without even knowing it i always cared a lot about the way things looked i think like i've always been attracted to art and beautiful things and I, when i was in this marketing job a lot of times i was working on the product kind of playing with the product trying to figure out what problems people were running into because I was also doing all the customer support. Um, and I think what initially attracted me to design was I saw that people were having such a hard time understanding our product at the time because I think you know there was a lot we needed to do to improve the experience. And I think it kind of frustrated me initially because it wasn't something I could really control. The engineers I worked with were nice enough to take my suggestions here and there but i really liked being able to help create an experience that people easily understood mm-hmm. and i think i think it makes sense when you're answering customer support emails you can only help a person so much but if they can't immediately flow through the product there's a bigger problem right so you know that that's a great point because i think for a lot of people they just assume that good product design is a lot to do with aesthetics right so it's a, it's mm-hmm. a lot to do with oh is it orange or is it yellow or is it white or black but you're bringing up this point that it's it's not just about looks it's also about just how easy is it to use a product so they, tell me a little bit more about how you think of good product design yeah definitely uh my boyfriend and i actually get in arguments about this sometimes because he'll refer to what i do as art sometimes as <laughs> as a joke um and it doesn't it's nothing like art because i i love to explore art on the side and so i i really feel day to day just how different they are i think first and foremost good product design is how something works and you know for me all the products i've worked on it's really about like what should this product even do for someone at the highest level you know you're working with a product manager determining like what features should really be in this app what's important and a lot of times it's i think the best design is just about prioritizing what the user needs the most cuz i think it's really 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 easy to come up with new cool interactions and cool features but taking it back to what is the problem we're solving and what does the user need the most is always the hardest part and the most essential part of good design. Yeah, so actually you know to really put this into context, why don't you give us an example that in your point of view a product which is not very well designed and how you might, you know, remove one thing as an example to make it better. I mean the first thing that pops to mind is HBO Go. <laughs> this is uh my boyfriend and I always sit in bed and try and watch some shows before we go to bed and I mean the basic task of just finding the show you want is really difficult and it's a problem of navigation and information architecture but I think HBO Go had just focused on how do we get the user the show they're looking for in the fastest possible way. I think the product would be a lot easier to navigate. It's just one example. Mm. Okay, no, that's a great example. And I think what you're also highlighting is that it's not just about saying that hey, you know, in this product we need customers to be able to find the program that they're looking for. As a designer, you're thinking about what is the quickest and the easiest way for them to get to that program. And that's where yep. a lot of your role would come in. Yep, and it's a lot of times 
what it really takes is just watching people use it over and over and over. I mean, it sounds obvious, but I think what it's always shocking in some ways to watch people use your products because you realize how impatient they are. Um, we all are. We're, you know, we're not going to wait a couple seconds if we don't have to. And so I think getting that perspective and seeing people use your products, you realize like they don't care about your product or your company or your brand. They care about this task they're trying to perform. And so making sure you're always coming back to that, it's a hard thing to do, but that's a mindset you have to put yourself in every day. Right. So how would you describe the role of a product designer? So the product design job that I've um, had experience with in the tech world has been a team of people usually consisting of a product designer, a product manager, and engineers. And essentially the product designer and the product manager are determining the strategy. So whether you're working on a mobile app or a desktop app or kind of whatever product it is, determining what features need to be there what problem you're solving, and all those strategic questions. And then the product designer is really working with the engineers to bring that idea to life. Hmm. So I think it would be really helpful if you can maybe walk us through a project from beginning to end and the kind of things that you would tackle at each stage of the project and you know how you would work with these different roles to finally get that product to life. Yeah, so... Um, I think the last huge project I worked on was to redesign the LinkedIn mobile app. And I was on the team called Feed, Mm -hmm. where we were really just in charge of that feed you see when you open the mobile app. It's kind of where you land. It's sort of a lot of people think of it as the home for LinkedIn. And when I joined the the team, the big question was, should we even have a feed? Do people want a feed? Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of a feed? And so for a few months, maybe three to four months, we actually kind of just focused on those questions. And what we did was we looked at past user research about what people tell us they need from LinkedIn. And we brought in more users to sort of just have a conversation about how is LinkedIn doing a good job? How is LinkedIn not doing a good job? And just spent some months kind of assessing out what did people need from LinkedIn and could a feed actually serve that need? Um, And what we ultimately felt like was people did have a need for professional content and people did want to share professional content because it helped their personal brand. And so from there, the next few months were spent thinking about the features of the feed. Do people need to share? Should people be able to comment and like and all these things? And we were sort of looking at a lot of different apps and figuring out, you know, what was missing in other apps and were there more opportunities for LinkedIn to shine that um, companies like Facebook couldn't because they're in the, not in the professional world. So just figuring out, like, what is LinkedIn's special sauce and how can we show that in the feed? We probably spent some time bringing people in and showing them early designs. So whether it was just wireframes or sketches we did a good job kind of getting rough stuff out there pretty quickly to get feedback. And then once we determined the direction of the feed, we sort of moved from wireframes to high fidelity mocks where you're actually including the visual design. So what does the feed look like when someone shares an article? What should that look like? Um, And it was a really challenging task because we had 
just hundreds of updates we had to design. You know, what does it look like when someone shares an article with a title and five people comment and two people like? And so all those different use cases, all those edge cases, we really had to design fully. All the error states, all of that. And then after the high fidelity mocks, we moved on to the interactions. So when someone clicks a button, what does it do? When someone goes to a different page, how does the screen move? Does it pop up, go up and down? Does it come in from the side? Um, And we kind of worked on those finer interactions. And then finally, we did some prototyping and we started working really, really closely with our engineers to help them build this. Mm -hmm. And it was just a constant back and forth. And the whole process probably took about a year and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is really helpful. So if I understand you correctly, just to recap, you started out with a very high level question that, hey, does LinkedIn even need a newsfeed? So you started out with that question, then you got some answers to it. It seems that you realize, okay, we do need to have a feed. And then uh, you started figuring out the next step, which is what should be the features of this feed. And then you started uh, developing some sort of wireframes to get feedback from customers in terms of what should the feed look like. And then you just went deeper and deeper in terms of, okay, how should customers interact with the feed? Once they interact, what's the resulting behavior like? So I understand that. I think the one thing which I would like to understand a little bit more is the interaction between the designer, the product designer, and the product manager. Because a lot of Mm -hmm. this stuff, I would guess, is something that the PM figures out, right? Like, do we need a feed? So I would love to understand, you know, the kind of different perspectives that a PM would bring in and then what the designer adds to it. Yeah, so I think you can probably generalize it pretty well by saying that the PM usually has to focus a lot of his effort and thinking on the business needs. So what is good for the business? For the business, it would be great if everyone was sharing professional content on LinkedIn's feed and and sharing and liking and commenting. That would be great because that means that people will come back to the app, they'll see ads, LinkedIn will get money, and it all works out great. But I think the designer responsibility is really to focus on what is the user need. So the PM and designer team are really balancing the, the business needs with the user needs. And so the designer's responsibility is to ask questions like, does the user even want to do that? You know, is this going to create friction when the user is going to tr- needs to do this every day? I see. Why would a user want to share? Was I a big see. question we spent a lot, a lot of time asking. I think there's a lot of hesitation to share on LinkedIn sometimes because sometimes the risk is greater than the reward. You know, you're really yeah. putting yourself out there. So we spent a few months talking about, you know, is a person going to be truly motivated to share professional content? on LinkedIn. So yeah, that's sort of the balance between the two generally. Okay, that's actually very, very helpful. So it's basically what you're saying is that for the most part, a PM is much more focused on the business needs, whereas the designer is focused much more on the user needs for the most part. Uh, for the most part. And I yeah. think that the, the product manager is also very much responsible for that project staying on track mm. and has to really keep the team on a good timeline they're doing a lot more high level, just watching the process from above and making sure that all the parts are moving smoothly and also doing much more of the sort of analytics. So determining what metrics, what are, what does success look like for this feed or this project or this app, and then being really responsible for making sure 
we're hitting those metrics and we're hitting our goals. Right, right. Okay. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the stages of the project that you described. So the first question, as you said, was understanding whether we even need a feed at all. And you said that you looked at past research to understand that, you know, whether that's a requirement or not. Uh, You know, just to illustrate, can you tell us some of the things that you might have seen which helped you answer that, yes, we need a feed? Yeah, so I think the big thing that we saw when determining whether we needed a feed was we looked at the people who were already sharing on the LinkedIn feed. Mm -hmm. Um, So we knew that a ton of people don't share and they're never going to. They're not big sharers. But there was this group of people that were super, super active and they were sharing professional content weekly, daily or weekly. And I think we, I remember we spent a couple of weeks calling those people up and talking to them on the phone. A lot of them were scattered throughout the U.S., so we couldn't bring them in. But we just called them up and we had these really great conversations with these people about why they were doing it. And what we found was that people thought it was extremely valuable to share on LinkedIn and actually got a lot of great business opportunities from it. So they would post, you know, every week and they saw a correlation between how much they post and how many people started emailing them and reaching out to them with different opportunities. So I think that's where we really saw this value that we thought could be applied to anyone who wanted to share on LinkedIn. I see. Okay. No, that's helpful. I think the other thing, so you mentioned that how, you know, you were figuring out what should be the features of the feed once you're assess that, okay, we do need a feed. So, I mean, I don't know how much you can share, but maybe, you know, just to understand, were there things that you sort of left out, which might have been on the table from a design perspective that you felt that as a designer, I don't think this is a good idea. And so we shouldn't do this. You know, uh, I I don't think there was anything that I was left out that I thought should have been there. But I know that we did, what we did, what did happen was we spent a lot of time thinking about how we could make the feed very unique, unique to LinkedIn. And we actually wanted that to be reflected in the design. Um, And so we tried for a long time, we tried a really different hierarchy of the feed. It might be a little hard to explain if I explain the visual, but let's just say the feed looked really different than the Facebook feed or any other feed you've Mm -hmm. seen. Um, And we tried this for a while and we were really excited about it because we felt like this makes LinkedIn different. Uh, You know, a lot of people called us the professional Facebook and we weren't sure if that was a good thing or not. So we're excited that this is going to feel really unique to LinkedIn. And what we eventually saw when we put it in front of people was that people are so trained by the Facebook feed (laughs) that when we got them into the LinkedIn feed, they just didn't know how to process it. And I think we might have taken it for granted, or I know I did, that how much Facebook has trained people to skim and scan feeds. And so us trying something different, kind of for the sake of just being different, wasn't going to be a successful move. And we actually scratched all the design work. It had been months of design work. We kind of just threw it away in that moment and started over with something that we thought would be much more familiar for people. Mm. And that was a huge learning because... Um, It just kind of shows you that you can't ignore how people are trained. You really can't do anything just for the sake of trying to be unique. Right. 
right no that and i love how you say that facebook has trained people to both scam and scan your yeah. feed which i guess makes sense but okay yeah no this is very helpful and i guess that's a uh, very pertinent to design which is that it's you know you may think that wow this is so awesome this is so cool maybe it's better than the feed that everyone is used to but the bottom line is if users are used to a certain thing and that's what's uh you know most comfortable for them then that's what you have to go with yep definitely right So another thing which I think will be helpful if maybe you can share an example if at all something like that happened is that like you said that your boyfriend jokes around that you know basically what you're doing is art but you're mm-hmm. doing much more than that so you know maybe how you might have been thinking about various features and you know the different options that you were considering and then when you actually did your wireframe studies with customers how you finally decided on how to go with that feature Yeah, um so the features for the feed were pretty limited because it was mostly just people being able to scan these updates from their friends and all their professional connections um and then they needed a a way to share. I think, you know, with the sharing interactions, we knew we really wanted it to feel super fast and lightweight. One thing that we spent a long time talking about is, you know, when someone reshares an article, does that person who is resharing the article want credit for finding this article do they almost want to present the article as their find or do they really want to attribute that article to the the connection that they took it from um and so when we were thinking about how people reshare we spent a long time having those discussions about what do people want do they want the credit or not mm. and we tested a bunch of different explorations for that and i think we did a lot of talking to users and user research about what their expectation was and i think that was a pretty cool experience because we realized that people had a very set in stone expectation for what would happen when they clicked reshare <laughs> and that just helped us kind of refine that feature and make sure we were pretty aligned with people's first expectation got it got it okay so you know it's uh, it'll be interesting if you could tell us a little bit about like as a designer i'm guessing that you s- spend a lot of time creating these mockups and then running them by customers and then iterating on them mm-hmm. so what is that exercise like and what are the kind of questions that you ask customers to get the most feedback from them Hmm. So I when I, this is kind of now transitioning a little bit to Pinterest because mm-hmm. I think um I've been doing a better job at this at Pinterest but when I'm creating mocks I'm in this program called Sketch most des- product designers I know use it it's kind of a it's the fastest tool and it's really great so I'm in Sketch and I'm coming up with mocks and usually trying to keep them pretty gray and wireframey until I really have to put visuals in. And when I'm doing that, generally what I do is I start with a hypothesis. So depending on what page I'm working on, a hypothesis could be if we show people a bunch of images of Pinterest, they're going to want to sign up. And then I'll show a a mock with a bunch of image placeholders. to sort of visualize the idea. And I think the key thing there is mapping everything back to a hypothesis is a really easy way to organize the work because then when I go talk to people it's re- becomes really simple and focused. It's 
you know, is the hypothesis that people want to see a lot of images true or false? Mm. And that really helps make the research go much faster because you're answering one simple question. I see. Okay. So generally, how many hypotheses would you be working with at a time? Uh, I think, you know, our researchers say it's actually great to focus the entire research session on just one. Mm. I, I know recently we did a day of research and we interviewed about five people. So it took probably five hours and we were all trying to answer one hypothesis. So that just keeps it really, really focused. I see. Okay. So like, so in one session you'll focus just on one hypothesis, but in total you might have like 10 different hypotheses that you'll test individually. Yeah. Yeah, Pretty well for any, any design I show, I probably, I always try to have more than one. And it's generally about two to three. So I think with design, you're constantly getting feedback from your manager, your product manager and engineers. And I found that the best way to be successful as a designer is bring as many options as you can, because inevitably when you go into a review, someone will always say, did you try blah, blah, blah. And uh, it makes the conversation much easier if you can really quickly point to that suggestion and say, yes, I tried it. It didn't work for these reasons. Um, And you can kind of move on to the next point. Right. So it just helps kind of facilitate the conversation. Got it. Okay. All right. This is very helpful. And another thing which I would like to understand is that, so you described the project that you did at LinkedIn, the Newsfeed Mm -hmm. project. If you were to think about your time overall, from beginning to end, how would you split your time across these various activities, whether that, whether that was uh, making wireframes or interviewing customers or brainstorming hypotheses? How would you split your time? Hmm, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I would say that, so generally you're in a phase, so you're either in the exploration phase where you're coming up with as, as many ideas as possible, and then from there you're sort of narrowing down the ideas Um, And quickly, that quickly becomes the execution phase where you know the direction you're going and you just need a design. And I feel like the way it has worked at previous companies is for every project, it feels like there's usually one to two months of just exploration phase Mm -hmm. um, where anything goes, crazy ideas are welcome. You're just trying to get everything on the table. After that phase, is usually when we'll do the first round of user research. So that usually only lasts for maybe a week at a time. You'll do some user research throughout that week. So maybe maybe it's like 10 hours total. So that phase is pretty quick. And then you're back to refining the idea. And then maybe two more months go by and you'll do another week of research. And then you'll finally narrow it down to what you want to build And then from there, you're really bringing in the visual design, making it perfect, and then working with the engineers to build it. I see. Okay. So because you said that the entire project took about a year and a half. So I'm guessing the bulk of the time actually went into the coding of the final thing. A lot of time went into the coding. And actually, I would say the first maybe three to four months were actually just product strategy. Mm. Um, and so design, I, I helped w- the product manager kind of illustrate the ideas. So illustrate the different directions we can go, whether it was just a sketch or a wireframe, but design was sort of a partner with product management team 
to figure out what we needed to build that year. Okay. And actually, I wanted to ask you this earlier. I should have. What is a wireframe for people who might not be familiar? Oh, yeah. 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 So um, a wireframe is a term we use when we're creating a mock-up that actually doesn't have visual design. So instead of beautiful images in the mock-up, you'll actually just see gray boxes. And sometimes you won't even have text. And it's really just to focus the feedback on the structure of what you're designing. Because oftentimes when you move into visual design, you know, you can imagine if you have all these beautiful images, people will get distracted and it's easy to kind of focus on the pretty imagery. Mm. So wireframes are really helpful when you want to really focus everyone on the idea and what problem you're solving, not how it looks. Right. Otherwise, they'll get stuck on that. Oh, I don't like that image as opposed to exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then also the interaction space. Um, When you said that you also spend some time figuring out what's the right interaction that you Mm -hmm. wanted to have in the feed. Can you share some examples that, you know, as a designer, the kind of options you might consider or the kind of hypotheses that you might consider? Yeah. So, I mean, there's standard. So there's standard interactions for like if you just take mobile design, iOS has guidelines and Android has guidelines that you have to follow. Um, and there's a certain expectation for how things will move. So, you know, usually screens come up from the bottom or they come up from the, come in from the sides. And I think a lot of times designers will try to do whatever is standard because it, they want the app to feel really familiar to people. You know, you would never want an interaction where a screen pops in and zooms in and it feels really jarring. (laughs) So a lot of the time interaction choices are really what does the user expect? And then from there, we didn't do anything super fancy interaction wise um, on the feed, but we did try to think about if we could make something feel really fast or really smooth where we could do those things. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've seen those, uh, it's not a product really, but those presentations where people will add a whole lot of animation and it's just like, I can't really see what I'm supposed to be focusing on. It's just a lot of animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can get, it can get overwhelming pretty quick. Yeah. So you mentioned that for the most part, you're working with product managers and engineers uh, throughout this process. The user research, is that also something that you do yourself or do you have dedicated researchers helping you out? So when I worked for a small design agency, the designers got to do the research themselves. Mm. And it was either bringing in people from Craigslist or we would actually just go bombard Starbucks and grab people and ask them (laughs) really nicely if we could have five minutes of their time. But at the bigger companies like LinkedIn and Pinterest, we have dedicated user researchers um, and we're very close partners with them. And I think for a lot of designers, the user research phase is one of the more exciting phases. And so from what I've seen, you know, a lot of product designers that I know like to get really involved as much as they can with the researcher to kind of extrapolate all the insights I see. and figure out the researching environment. Got it. Got it. And then also, you know, in Silicon Valley, I mean, if I look at my LinkedIn, you know, people who are sort of in this field, I see all of these different titles. Like, so you are a product designer. I'll see someone else saying they're a UX designer. Someone will say they're a UI designer. Someone will say they're an experienced designer. So are, are these the same thing or are they different? 
So they can be really different. I think the two the two titles that I have found to be the same, user experience designer and product designer. I've had both of those roles and they were the exact same position. Mm-hmm. What's different is our different roles like UI designer. So if you're strictly a UI designer, you're just doing all the visual design. You're not figuring out the experience and what product features you need. Mm-hmm. It's just strictly visual. Um you know, graphic designers, people also confuse with product designers. Graphic designers, again, visual design. Um, and then I think motion and interaction designers, it probably depends on what company you're at, but you can have a dedicated interaction or motion designer who's really only thinking about the interactions and they're not touching the broad product strategy part of the process or the visuals. Oh, and so it is It is very confusing in the beginning because companies are all so different. But I think if you start with product design and you're, you're researching sort of all these positions that fall under that umbrella of product design, I think it's a, it's a helpful place to start because then you'll really understand kind of where you want to where you want to fit. And if you like them all, you can just be a product designer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and UI, just to clarify, is user interface, right? Exactly. Okay. And actually, based on the definition which you used, um, I mean, not to simplify too much, but it's almost like UI design is much more the artsy thing which people think is design. Whereas... Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So then, in your opinion, what do you think is the future of design? That's a tough question. I've been thinking about that. Um, I think one thing I think is happening is that people are finally understanding the importance of design. Big companies that never never gave design any thought now have to pay attention to it. And so for me, like the future of design is that we won't really have a tolerance for bad design for very much longer because companies see how important it is. And then another thing I've noticed is And the tools are getting easier and easier. And uh, they're coming out with really great prototyping tools for designers. And so for a product designer, I think the future of design is that you're not just designing static mocks anymore, which people have been doing for, you know, years. You're designing things that actually move. You're designing multiple screens at a time and showing how they interact together instead of just presenting 10 different mock-ups. And so that's making it much easier for the engineer counterpart to kind of understand what the designer's vision is. And I think that's really exciting. Oh, interesting. So it's almost like you're using some sort of a visual coding language to just build a prototype, which doesn't actually work, but it shows how it'll behave. Exactly. Yeah. It sort of just mimics it. And luckily there's some tools coming out that you don't have to have any coding experience which I'm happy about because that's not really my strong suit. And so they have these really great visual p- prototyping tools that designers are now picking up. Oh, interesting. Can you name any which you find very good? Yeah, so um, a lot of people I know use an app called Flinto mm-hmm. or Principle. I think Facebook came out with Quartz Composer. And then, you know, there's Keynote, which is just a PowerPoint sort of it's a competitor of PowerPoint where it's really made for presentation tools It's for, for presentations, but it's actually really great at very 
dumb interactions. And so I, sometimes I use that if I'm trying to put together something really quickly. Oh, interesting. I'll check those yeah. out. Yeah, that's that sounds because coding is not my strong suit either. But it's so yeah. hard without if you can actually build something which is sort of what you want, it doesn't actually work, but it mimics the interaction. That's so helpful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So now I think it'll be helpful to just understand some of the day to day aspects of your job. So if I were to run into you on a typical day and you're working as a designer at Pinterest, what are the kind of things that I would see you working on or what are the kind of problems I would see you facing? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm on the growth team at Pinterest. So a large part of what we're doing is trying to figure out how we can grow internationally And I'm lucky because in my job, I get to switch between doing mobile design, so working on our iOS and Android apps, mobile web, and also get to do work on our desktop app, so Pinterest.com. And so I love my job because I really get to switch around kind of my focus. So one week, I'll be doing a project for our iOS app, and then maybe the next week, I'll get to work on web. So it's constantly changing, which is good for me because I like that and I prefer that. A lot of times we're either we're spending time executing on an idea and a project that's very clear and very structured, or we're actually taking a step back and saying, you know, is there something we haven't thought about that we think would be really great for our international users and would and would really help us grow abroad? So um, it's kind of a back and forth between executing on these really structured projects and also just trying to dream up good ideas we haven't thought of. Right. Like, so as a designer, do you think that there are any sort of day-to-day issues which are very unique to your role? Yeah, de- no, definitely. I think that the biggest thing that's unique to product design is the amount of feedback you get. You are just constantly showing people your work and you know, everyone has an opinion. And I think that took me a while to really be able to handle on a daily basis because I know for me and many other designers, it can be really overwhelming. Sometimes five really important people have five very different opinions about what your design should be. And I think as you grow, you kind of learn how to filter out that feedback and still incorporate it, but also make sure you're not losing what you think is important. And that skill has actually taken a while for me to develop. It was definitely hard at first. You know, that's actually a great point, because I can imagine different people sharing just completely opposite opinions. with you. So how (laughs) do you like, how do you prioritize? Like, how do you say that I think that's right? And I don't think that that's right. It's really hard. I feel like I'm still learning how to do it. Um, I think, you know, for people giving product designers feedback, a lot of times what happens is people will present a solution. So, you know, you should do this. They won't really get into what problem they see and what problem they're actually trying to solve with that solution. And so a lot of times product designers will sort of respond to feedback with, I think that's a great solution, but what problem are you trying to address with that solution? Hmm. Um, And then visual design feedback is even harder because people just say it it just doesn't feel right. Or (laughs) I don't know why, but I don't like the way it looks. And I think that feedback is definitely challenging because you kind of go back to your desk and you try a million other things and you're not exactly sure what they meant. And so 
I think a good product designer is able to ask the right questions Mm. to help people better give feedback and better articulate what specifically doesn't look right. Is it that spacing? Is the typeface too big? And so that's kind of the sign of a mature designer. Right, right. That, that's a great, great point. Like you have to be able to ask the right questions to elicit the right feedback yep, from the customer. Yeah, definitely. Right. So generally, is this a job that you would describe as stressful? Like are, what are your working hours like? You know, working hours are, aren't too bad. I think that luckily a lot of these tech companies in SF really, really value work-life balance. I know my manager doesn't want me working weekends and working really late hours. So I have a great work-life balance and I just make sure when I'm in the office, I'm super focused. I try not to go to too many meetings and that has worked out really well. I don't know if LinkedIn and Pinterest are unique, but I think they've done a really good job at, you know, making sure their employees are actually healthy and get to work out and not overworked. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's definitely a factor of most tech companies here in Bay Area, especially. Um, And as a designer, have you faced any tough situations? Yeah, I think that probably the biggest challenge is really taking the viewpoints of your counterparts, like your PM, who's thinking about the business needs a lot of time, and then your engineer, who's thinking about, you know, what's technically possible. And I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying about taking feedback. I think it's learning how to balance all these different needs and come up with a solution that, you know, is sort of a win-win for everyone. On the growth team, the biggest challenge is the business needs of wanting a bunch of people to sign up and then the user needs, which is some people want to see what Pinterest is about before they sign up. That balance is really, really hard. You definitely have to be sort of strong to handle all the different <laughs> things going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you share an example to illustrate? Uh, yeah, I mean, let's see. I'm trying to think. Well, I think you see this a lot today with different apps. I think all of us are familiar with landing. You know, say we click an article that we like. We're looking for a shirt that we like and we land on a website and they sort of have a pop-up right in our face trying to get our email uh-huh. um, right when we land on it. They're doing that because they want to capture your email so that they can retain you and reach out to you in the future and make sure that they can try and get you engaged later on. But it can feel really annoying. Yeah. And uh, as a user, it's not always the best experience because you haven't even read that article that you came for. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and so I think that's the balance with growth that is very difficult. Yeah. And I guess, so as a designer, what do you do in those circumstances? So the, the PM is saying, no, we got to ask them for their email. And as a designer, you know that that's not exactly the best user experience. So then what do you do? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, I think you... You know, you have to be pretty realistic about, I guess, companies, you know, have different stages where it's really important for them to get that email, for instance. At some phases, the email, getting the email is worth maybe not the best user experience. And so I think, I think what you really have to do is just understand what the business cares about and what they really need and just learn to strike that balance. But it's, it's not easy. I don't, I don't think there's a perfect, 
perfect solution or answer. I think I've definitely learned how to not think of it as an all or nothing black and white sort of situation where it's what the user wants only. Growth has definitely humbled me in that way because ultimately we want everyone to enjoy our product, whatever product you're working on. And so if you have to do something that's a little uncomfortable for the user so that they can enjoy the product, sometimes you make that trade off. But yeah, it's very difficult. Oh, I can see that. But it's good to know that this job does require a little bit of that balance between the business and the user need. In fact, that brings up a good point, which is that how do you assess the success of someone in this field? Mm, Interesting. Yeah, you know, I feel like with product design, there's a lot of different skills that you know, sort of contribute to someone being good because product design, as I was mentioning earlier, is sort of that umbrella where you're doing the user experience, you're doing a lot of user research, and you're doing the visual design. So um, you obviously have to be very skilled at the execution of the design to be able to put together visually beautiful designs. But I think on the experience side, I think that you really need to be interested in people. And for for me, I was was always really interested in human behavior. And I think that really helps me when I create my designs because I love understanding people's expectations and motivations. And so I think for me, that curiosity has been really helpful. And then I'd say, I think I said this earlier, but you have to be pretty strong-willed because you're getting so much feedback and a lot of times you have to fight for the user. Hmm. So you definitely can't be someone who, you know, at the side of conflict sort of just gets shy and timid and backs (laughs) down. You kind of have to fight the fight sometimes, I find. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, generally, are there any KPIs associated with product designers? It could be something like how much are users interacting with your product or does the user engagement increase by a certain amount once you're redesigning a product? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're definitely responsible for whether the design was successful. And at the beginning of any project, you're coming up with those metrics that determine success. So whether it's increasing the number of signups, increasing the number of people who engage with your feature or whatever part of the app you're designing, so if you were just designing one app, maybe you're trying to increase the number of people who use it once a week because people are only using it once a month. And maybe that's your key metric that you're working towards. I see. Uh, okay. Yep. So you're, you're all, you always have metrics that you're responsible for, for trying to reach. That's helpful. And I'm guessing you own these jointly with the product manager or are they your metrics alone? Jointly with the product manager. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. All right, so then what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working as a product designer? I think understanding the way people think is super interesting. And I think you get that a lot of times through the user research and watching people use your product. You know, I think that with Pinterest, you know, one thing I found is that people feel like Pinterest has helped them be really creative. And I think when I started using the product, I sort of thought, oh, maybe this is just me who who kind of uses it for all these different inspirations. And then, you know, every week we sort of highlight a new person and how they use Pinterest. And people use it really differently, but they're also like using it in the same fundamental ways, which is to sort of be inspired and 
create the sort of online life that they want later on. And so um, I just think getting a better understanding for how we're all different and how we're all the same is really fun. (laughs) And I was going to ask you, what inspires you to be a great product designer? And I think you've sort of answered my question, which is that you're basically working on something which inspires your users and you're trying to figure out their psychology. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's it all comes down to sort of problem solving. And a lot of times, you know, I know my parent, my mom, especially isn't isn't super tech savvy. And so when I design things, I really just think of, you know, would my mom be able to understand this? Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, someone who likes things explained as simply and clearly as possible. And so giving that back in a product and app is is just a, a nice it feels good because you're making it really easy for someone to do what they want to do. Right, right. No, that's really helpful. That That's a good question to be asking, I think, for any designer. Would my mom understand this? Yeah, definitely. And are there any aspects of this job that you find challenging? You shared the business and the user balancing that, um, you know, if anything else comes to mind. I sort of touched on this earlier, but I think that for me, a big thing I've learned is how to take feedback and how to not get defensive. I think that product designers get more feedback than anyone else I've seen in these little tech communities. And the nature of the work is is that you work on something for a little and then you show it to a bunch of people. And I think design can feel really personal at times. Um, You can almost feel like you're giving yourself up in a design. And so when someone doesn't like it, I think it's easy to, to really go on the defense and be slightly offended by that. And it's taken me a little bit of time to learn how to let that go and really separate myself from the work. So I find that to be one of the more challenging aspects of the job. Actually, that's a great point because I'm guessing that beyond a point, like for a lot of things, like do we need to have a feed or not? You can back that up with data so it's not personal. But for a Mm -hmm. lot of the other interaction kind of things, like should it zoom in or should it pop in? Like I'm guessing that's more more judgment rather than data yeah and the visual design too because you could you could spend just days or months working on something that in your mind is beautiful and so elegant and then someone can tear it apart really really quickly and uh it's it's hard to not take that personally sometimes right right and are there any aspects of this job that you just do not like (laughs) do not like you know i think the I've never been sort of a data person, a data person. I'm not good with numbers. That's never been my forte. Never pretended to be. <laughs> um, and I think in marketing and design, a lot of the job is tracking these metrics and hitting these metrics. And so I'm sort of at the period time now where I've realized that to be a great designer, you're keeping track of what's happening on the data side and you're understanding, you know, whether your experiments or your apps are doing well based on the data. And so for me to have a better understanding that would help me a lot in my career, but it's definitely not my strong suit or something I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm guessing that would vary a lot from designer to designer. Some people will like it, some will not. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So in your opinion, what kind of person do you think would really thrive as a product designer? Hmm. 
know, for me, I think that what initially attracted me to design was how things look. And so while product design is very far from art, I really appreciate things that are beautiful. And that was probably the initial attraction is I wanted this thing to look better. And I think a lot of designers I know have that kind of have forever had that eye for design, eye for beauty, and they really appreciate beautiful things. And so a lot of product designers I know, they know they've had that forever and that initially attracted them to it. And then from there, the user experience side, I think you have to, you don't have to be a people person, but you definitely have to be interested in people Mm. and have a lot of empathy for people. Like, again, my boyfriend kind of jokes that he could never be a designer because he only wants to design things for what he says, really smart people who just, you know, know how to use products. But the truth is people need things to be really simple. And if you don't want to make them really dumbed down and really simple so that everyone can understand it, then you're not going to have an easy time as a product designer. Yeah, Uh, yeah. No, Definitely. this is this is a great point, and I I hear a lot, you know, how people will say that it's so hard to design a simple product because you you don't see all the stuff that's been debated. That let's put it into the product, and then finally someone says, "No, sorry, this cannot be in the product." But it's so hard to get to that seemingly simple product. Oh yeah, absolutely, because it's it's always like so much harder to to turn things down than to you know just say yes to to wanting to everything. Yeah, yeah the best product designers. Can you share an example which really sort of brings out very starkly, you know, that, wow, this guy really knows what he or she is doing? Yeah. So there's a designer at Pinterest named Scott. He's amazing, incredible designer. Um, he's the probably the person on the team I look up to the most. And what makes him the best, in my opinion, is that he's always asking the right questions and really at the right times. And it's pretty amazing how far you can go down the wrong path if you're not asking the right questions early on. And I'll be, you know, I'll think of a design for a few weeks and I'll put it together and I'll have this almost fancy thinking around it. And maybe I have a cool framework I came up with and I'll show it to him and we'll have a review and he'll ask a question I never thought of. And after he asked that, I realized that I went the wrong direction completely because I didn't ask that right question. And so I think product designers who've, who've worked on a lot of products and have gone through the process, they just know that high level question they need to answer, which is usually along the lines of like, what problem are you solving mm. here? Mm. And is that the right problem, essentially? Right, right. That, that's a great example. I think this is sort of what you were illustrating also in the UX study example, which is that you could design a bunch of different things, but unless and until you know what problem you're solving for, it yep, doesn't really exactly. matter. Yeah. So in your professional career so far, what do you think have been some of the biggest influences? Hmm, influences. <sighs> you know, I think that I've had really, really awesome managers and mentors you know, at LinkedIn, I had some awesome mentors. Even the VP of the design team was sort of a mentor to me. And I think the biggest thing the mentors have helped me with is actually more the interpersonal challenges of being a product designer, like I've talked about, sort of the, you know, how to take feedback, how to not get super stressed out when 20 people are telling you different things. 
And I've had a lot of good coaching from them about how to deal with that because oftentimes that's much harder to do than the work itself because it it can feel really emotional. So I think I've had some really good coaches help me with that. That's a great point. Like how how were you able to establish that mentor-mentee relationship with these guys? You know, I'm never, I don't think I've ever sort of reached out to someone in a really kind of purposeful way to be a mentor, but I've always been good at, having no shame in reaching out to people for coffee kind of whenever I I feel like they'd be an interesting person to learn from. And ever since I moved to SF, I've definitely kind of gone out of my way to, to network and just, it really is just grabbing coffee with anyone I think is doing something interesting. And in return, when someone, when anyone reaches out for coffee to me to talk about design, I always say yes. And, you know, unless they don't live here or something like that, I'll, I'll do a call. But I just feel like it's a small community and I try to pay it forward. So in the beginning of your career, I think the only way I would have been able to transition is if I just had no shame in reaching out to as many people as possible. And there's a right way to do it, I think. I think you you can set up time with someone and pay for their coffee and not take too much of their time. Maybe it's just 30 minutes and you, you come really prepared with questions. Mm -hmm. And I think doing that whenever you're interested in a different career path is the fastest route to understanding if you're going to be interested in something. So I know we're running out of time, but this is so important because a lot of people, you know, you get this advice that you should network and you should reach out to people, but many people struggle with, a, just reaching out, the act of reaching out to a stranger and B, I mean, yes, I want to prepare, but what should I prepare on? Like, how do I show to this person that, yes, I really am interested in this? So do you yeah. have any insights on that? Yeah, I think that for me in the beginning, I just, I didn't even know what questions to ask. So it was hard to be super prepared. But I think that to have a successful networking meeting in the beginning, you just have to listen. I think what I usually started off with was, I'm really interested in what you're doing for a living. Tell me how you got there. And if you sort of lead with that question, I mean, that can take you pretty far. Mm -hmm. And I think it has a lot. There's been a couple of times I've gone to coffee and the person sort of maybe spent the whole time telling me about their path and that, you know, and in some ways I felt like this meeting isn't going to be really helpful if you want to learn from me and let me give you advice. And so I think putting it on the person and just sort of putting it in their court and saying, like, I'd love to hear your story. That's usually what I found to be the most helpful thing. Right, right. That's a great point. Yeah, just let them do the talking. And you just listen. Yeah, absolutely. So and I think you would you're a great person to answer this. I mean, is there something like a typical background for this role? I'm guessing not because you clearly don't have a background (laughs) in design. Um, a lot of the product designers I, I work with went to either grad school or under they did HCI, human computer something, actually interaction. Yeah. Some undergrad programs have an HCI degree you can get, and sometimes you have to get a master's in it. Mm-hmm. So you can either come from that background. I know a lot of people with psychology backgrounds, and then some people who are graphic design but want to now take on more responsibility and right. and start to to think about the experience more got it okay so actually basically i think what you're saying is either it's a direct degree in design 
or some field which helps you understand human behavior like psychology yep definitely got it and i'm guessing the best way to apply is through a referral or something yeah i would say that like the best advice i have is realize that you're not you can't really get a design job without a portfolio and you can't have a portfolio without either real or totally made up projects and so um when i meet with people for coffee what i tell them is you're going to have to do a lot of work to learn the tools so you have to learn sketch you have to start reading a bunch of th- different articles about product design and start understanding the process and then the hardest part is you just if you can't get a internship or you can't get your foot in the door to start designing you need to come up with fake projects you know think of an app you wish you had and then start designing it and then from there you really have to put that online in a portfolio using squarespace or one of those behance one of those different websites and you have to show it off because at the end of the day it's about your work and people are going to want to see it yeah no i mean i can see how having a portfolio is really critical especially in a role like this but let's say you know each and every designer who's applying to you right now has some portfolio or the other what would really make a candidate stand out in your mind mm yeah definitely um i think setting up the project the right way is super important so i think a lot of people have a tendency to talk about their process so first i did a lot of sketches and then i did some mockups everyone's going to say that cuz that's the standard design process but i think what makes people stand out is when they start off a project by saying here's the problem we are facing whatever that problem is here was what our hypothesis was here's how we thought about solving this problem here's what we tried here's what didn't work here's what people told us in research and then here's eventually where we ended up and then even explaining did it work or did it not did it move the metrics or did it sort of fall flat because i think that those are all the questions you're going to get in an interview and so it just makes everyone's life easier if you sort of set up your portfolio in that way right so it's almost sort of illustrating the sim- the similar process that you would go through if you were actually joining that company yeah and taking the focus less on kind of how you work through the problem like i sketched a lot i wireframed i mean you definitely need to include all of that but i would spend more of your time explaining the real problem and how you addressed it right right okay All right Lindsay this was extremely extremely helpful I really loved the conversation Great. is there any other advice you'd like to share with our listeners I would just say that don't ever assume you can't teach this yourself because I am living proof that product design can totally be taught and even though I explain some of the backgrounds people have you could come from any background doesn't matter and you can learn product design And so I would just encourage people spend a lot of time reading about product design. One resource I love is on Medium where you can read articles. Julie, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I think it's Z H O U mm-hmm. is kind of the product design director at Facebook and she writes a lot of great articles explaining product design. Spend a lot of time reading and I would just say just don't doubt whether or not you can do it because you can 
that's a lovely inspiring way to end the podcast so thanks a lot of course yeah absolutely well thank you so much for having me on no absolutely this was all my pleasure thanks again okay great thank you take care bye 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 So that was Lindsay with a very interesting and informative account of what it's like to work as a product designer. I really hope that you enjoyed today's discussion. I personally found it very very helpful. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Lindsay or for me, you can email us at learneducatediscover@gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at @led_curator. Of course, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy what we are doing and find it helpful, you can subscribe to the show. You can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. We're available on all three. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover and then hit subscribe. And of course, while you're at it, please leave us a review. Your reviews improve our rankings in the iTunes or SoundCloud directory. So, leave a review. It really helps a lot. It means a lot. So, please take the time. You can also like us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. And when you like the page, updates on all the great content that we are putting together for you guys will appear right there in your Facebook newsfeed. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, take care and be well.